Welcome back once again. As you can tell, I'm in the same clothes. Sneaky bit of insight. I'm recording them all in the same time, so I'm actually ahead of the game for once. So don't worry, everything's going on. The bed will be made for those of you watching on YouTube at season two. I promise I will not be sat here with a messy room and empty bed. But here we go. We'll get it sorted. Right, let's start off with this week's montage episode. We're back again this week. It's a very rugby-based focus, but it's some of the funniest stories I've ever had on this podcast. And there's no better one to start off than that with Callum Serker when he became a Cornish Pirate and the whole event took place in a week and what a crash course that was. Trying to organise yourself a new rugby contract when you're on a boys' holiday. It's only bound to go one way. Let's hear how it went. We know what happened. You're now a proud member of the Cornish Pirates. Yes, you must yes, be buzzing. How did you end up at Cornish Pirates? Because you were telling me about it was a bit of a whirlwind there. So you decided that Wasp wasn't the place for you and you thought, well, yeah. you, tell, you, you, you tell me the story. Tell me the story you want to tell me of how it went. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, things ended at Wasps and I, uh, put it this way, it ended pretty late. Yeah. So I, I didn't have um, much to go off. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd not played the amount of games I wanted to, put it that way. And um, I was left kind of with not much game time, not a lot of highlights and told very late that I wasn't going to be uh, continuing on with Wasp. And obviously yeah. that's, that is just, um, unfortunately, that is just professional sport. Yeah. It's, it's, the way, it's the way it is, you've got to get used to it. Um, so at the time, that was, that was my, that was my, um, that was my reality and I had to get pretty uh, on board with the fact that I didn't think I had a job in, yeah. in rugby. So obviously um, I've said already that I'm doing law school online part-time. Well, you know, before at the end of the season, I thought I was going to be doing that full-time at mm-hmm. uh, law school in Waterloo and I'd have to look for a part-time job on the side and possibly try and play some rugby uh, part-time and try and keep the dream alive. But, you kind of think to yourself that because of the intensity of law school that it was going to be a kind of a crash course to get through my PGDL, my postgraduate diploma in law. Yeah. I wouldn't have time to play rugby and have a job on the side that pays me so I can actually, you know, maybe find a little flat or house share or whatever. So, mm-hmm. you know, the dream was the rugby was, you know, it was looking kind of, you know, it was squeaky on the back On the back burner, yeah. Massively, so you know, on the back burner, or I was having, you know, I was having real genuine thoughts that maybe, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe it's just, maybe rugby's just not going to pan out. And unfortunately, mm. I'm going to be that guy in the pub that said, um, you know, I would have been that if it was, if it wasn't for this and wasn't for that. But I was determined that wasn't going to be the case. So mm-hmm. um, I got a message from obviously Matt Jess, who's obviously a friend of ours, and. Uh, one of the greatest people we've ever met, I think it's exactly, safe to say. Yeah. He's, you know, an ambassador for blokes. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. And uh, he kind of messaged me out. So obviously, before then, I had lots of talks with um, clubs, championship, a few premiership, and it, they all just fizzled out before that. Yeah. So that's, that's why I was coming to the realisation that maybe I wasn't going to have a club and I just have to get on with my life. Um, and luckily for me, I, had a, I have a degree. So I was going mm-hmm. into law. So luckily, I had something to fall back on. Um, 
So I got a text from Matt Jess who kind of said, like, I'm assuming you have a club, but if you don't, you know, maybe you might want to come to the Cornish Pirates. I messaged him saying, I haven't got a club. And, and I'd, I'd love to go to the Cornish Pirates. <laughs> I'd, I'd be very interested in having a look at or talking about the Cornish Pirates. Straight away that, that, that day, he's given me a call. Um, and um, we discussed it. He's kind of given me his idea of it, what they want, their vision, um, and said and suggested that you know we chat on like a Zoom call with Gavin Cattle, who's one of the head coaches at uh, Cornish mm-hmm. Park. At the time, I so now and, and at the time I didn't have an agent, so obviously I parted ways with my agent because I think I thought I didn't need one because I'm not a professional rugby player anymore. So yeah. Um, <laughs> So I had a Zoom call with Gavin, Gavin and uh, Matt Jess was there, and when, uh, I, lo- I, you know, Matt Gavin was brilliant. He's a brilliant bloke himself, and you know, and uh, I've heard a lot of good things from people uh, about the Cornish parts and about the coaching staff. So the, the only thing that was, this is the whirlwind. So before then, when when Matt got hold of me, I was like, he asked me about it, and I said I'm interested, and we had a few conversations and. I said to him, and he said, and when it started to heat up, yeah. I, was going, I was going on a lad's holiday. So I had to, <laughs> where, where are we talking? Are we talking like proper Ibiza, Ocean Beach? No, 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 no. So this was, this was when the COVID was like in, I think it was July or something. So it was, it was right. like June, June. So I was like, Brighton. We went to Brighton. <laughs> like four Wait, nights. Brighton's quite hip and trendy from what I see. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm rural Scotland. So, but... I know. It was brilliant. No, hip and trendy. It was really cool, vibrant and, uh, busy and you know uh, allowed us to go to like this nightclub, but the nightclubs were like tables, so it was like, nightclub music and dark and brilliant. I'm not <laughs> giving out my night my nights out there, but um, so I kind of messaged him and said like, by the way, Matt, I'm on a lads' holiday. Like, just, I'm going to be on a lads' holiday for like four days, four nights. Uh, like, I probably won't text you at midnight <laughs> on, <laughs> on my nights out, Steve, and be like, yes, I was, you know what I mean. So. Um, you know, and we actually did speak while I was out on my lad's holiday and I didn't tell the boys anything. So like, yeah. I was like, at, like, at a party. Were you, were, you, were you with mates from home or were you with like mates from Wasp? Well, mates from Wasp. I was with uh, Tim Cardle, Will Porter and Cam Anderson and we meant to go with like a few other lads, one of them being yeah. top list and then he like messaged us a couple of days before the lads holiday. I saw I've been called up to England. We're like, all right, see you later. Would you, <laughs> what, what would you rather be? England have all lads holiday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, batter um, for eighty minutes or just yeah, batter the beers. We were like, "Don't speak to us again." You didn't come to the lads' holiday, but yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there was a few times where like I'd be at a beer in hand at a pub. Yeah, um, I'd get a call from Matt Jess or like a message from Matt Jess. I'd be like out oh, on the phone or like you know speaking, and the lads were like, "What's he getting on his phone for?" Like, so um, they knew something. Thought, yeah. They knew you're phoning the missus or something. Yeah, exactly. So I got <laughs> home. Exactly. So I got home from the lads' holiday. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when I had my Zoom call with Gavin and, and Matt. And mm. I kind of said, you know, because I, I initially kind of one of the things in the negotiations, I didn't have an agent at the time. Uh, I said, I, I haven't got a plan. I can't find a one, like a one bed, one bed flat in Penzance. Yeah. Everything. It's summer, Cornwall, beautiful. Everyone's renting them out as Airbnbs. And there was like one left. So Gavin said to me, like, why don't you come down and have a look at this place? Um, that we've got, or one of the lads owns that you know he gives out rents out to boys. Um, why don't you come down this week? And I was like, literally just come back from Brighton, yeah. yeah. And he like, wants me to come down to Cornwall. And he was like, by the way, don't come on a Friday, 
because that's obviously when the traffic's going to hit. Yeah. yeah. And it was like Wednesday. So I was like, uh, so I just literally was like, okay, yeah, I'm coming. So I went, that, it was a Tuesday. So like I said to my dad, like, my old man who wanted to come with, I said, we need to go down to Cornwall this week and before Friday. <laughs> so we're like, well, we'll leave tomorrow then. So we got the, got in the car, drove down, we met by, um, met by Gav and shown around the house. It's beautiful, a great view, which I showed you earlier. Oh, uh, mate, you'll have to post the picture on the ground that people can see when it comes out because it's, yeah. it's blissful. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> pretty cool. So um, kind of was, you know, kept my poker face because obviously I have an agent at the time, so I was trying to be like... Um, Cam Campbell has done this a million times before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so... And then we got shown around the Mene Field, which is obviously a famous Cornish Pirates, famous... Uh, yeah, yeah. Loved it and kind of... Uh, over a coffee, came to an agreement on, on a contract, which you have to do at this level. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and then on, by... I was there on the Wednesday, I remember, and then Thursday I signed. And I remember on the Wednesday, you know, I said, I see, you said, like, obviously you're entitled to your art, your Rugby Players Association five weeks off. So what, you've got like three weeks left. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, no, I want to be there for day one of pre-season. I want to meet the boys. I want to graph with the boys. Yeah. Um, I thought that was the right thing to do. And I still think it was. But he said, no, absolutely. But he said, it was, this was Wednesday. And he said, oh, brilliant. Training starts on Monday. Bollocks. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, God. You're, still ner- you're still nursing a three-day hangover from the last yeah, one. I was, I was like, I was like 18 days on the piss. So I was like, oh, yeah. God. Yeah, yeah, that sounds fine. That sounds fine. So got back on. So on the Thursday, I'd signed. Yeah. Drove back on the Thursday mm-hmm. and then left, came back up on the Sunday with all my belongings and moved in. And then I was training on Monday. You're a pirate. I'm a pirate, yeah. So it was pretty, pretty like a whirlwind kind of week. Sounds oh, straightforward like, when you put it like that. Yeah, on Monday, signed by Friday. Yeah, it does. So, <laughs> trust me. Usually, negotiations are not done by the player, and, and it's not, and it's not kind of strong like that short and easy. Yeah. But uh, they were brilliant. Uh, Gavin was brilliant. Matt, uh, brilliant. I can't thank Matt enough for thinking of me. There you go. So imagine that. Imagine trying to get yourself sorted. To get a, you're in a nightclub with the boys, and you're secretly trying to text the coach to get yourself down to Cornwall for the end of the week to make sure you've got a new contract. Following on with the rugby theme, we make a return of Hannah Smith in the montages and she tells us all about what it's like as a women's rugby player managing a full-time workload and being an international rugby star, not to mention trying to get to the Olympics while they're doing that. What an incredible, incredible achievement to make sure all that goes hand in hand and to have a life outside of all of that as well is truly, truly incredible. Let's have a quick listen as to how that went. We're going to move on to the stuff that doesn't involve rugby. We're going to have a nice little chat. So for people that don't know, Hannah, when she has all this abundance of free time of representing Scotland as a 15 star, as a 7 star, going on Tokyo to the Olympics, she's also a fully qualified vet. How did you become a fully qualified vet? I mean, obviously, uni and that, but how, talk us through the journey. Um, so I think I decided pretty early that I wanted to be a vet. I was probably like 11 at the time. Um, my dad was a surgeon, so it was kind of either medicine or veterinary. And I think just because I loved animals so much, I just sort of decided on the veterinary side of things. Um, did a lot of work on farms and with horses and stuff uh, before I went to uni. And then, yeah, obviously I had to do uni for five years, which was savage, but 
<laughs> we got through it. Um, yeah, it was it was quite an easy decision, really. I don't think I had anything else that I was particularly keen on. I think that was the main the main driver for me, um, mm-hmm. career wise. So yeah, I didn't I didn't really struggle to come to the decision or anything. No. So how does uh, being it's not it's not rugby related, but how does being a vet manage to fit into the lifestyle of being a, a rugby international rugby superstar? Um, so yeah, I I had to have quite a lot of conversations with my work and with the SRU about sort of additional support because my holiday allowance wouldn't allow for me to play both. And mm-hmm. um, I was obviously really keen to play both. You wouldn't want to miss either, really. So um, the SRU were really good about paying for me to have extra holidays from work. And to be fair, my work were very understanding and like very happy for me to be off because um, they knew that it, like it was such a big passion of mine. So my work were really understanding about it. Um, I was doing a four day week as well, which was helpful. Um, you're, mm-hmm. you're doing long days, but at least that I had a Wednesday off. So at least that was like an extra recovery day or I could fit in another session if I needed to fit in another session. Um, and then I wasn't doing any out of hours either, which again would have mm-hmm. limited my availability for, for rugby. So it was quite cushy to be fair for a veterinary job. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that you found the word cushy in that. I think there's such like, people don't use slang and I think it needs to be used more cushy. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you there. I just well, yeah, it's, it's a perfect word to describe my setup. Mm-hmm. Um, before I obviously went on sabbatical, so yeah. Mm-hmm. I know it's 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 nice that you decided that you're going to be a junior school. I'll take sabbatical now. Like I think I've earned it now. <laughs> yeah. No, it just got to a point where yeah. I just couldn't. Like lockdown last year, we were very busy, um, mm-hmm. and then it, like as rugby was starting up again in August September time, I just. I couldn't deal with it and I knew that it was going to be a big year with with GB stuff and the mm-hmm. Scotland stuff because of potential World Cup qualifiers and all that that going on as well so um yeah I just had to make a decision and it's it's the best decision I've made really like mm-hmm. it, in my my body and my performance has been a lot better purely because I'm not as stressed <laughs> and I'm not as I'm not run off my feet all the time so yeah definitely not in the office for a <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> running about all over the place it's a good i think that speaks volumes as well to a lot of people in life like the like if you talk to people and say i have i have got a lot of stuff and people will be like okay well you can take a back seat from this for a while yeah yeah so no well shout out to your work and the sru for being very understanding there yeah i mean Gemma Faye was great i think i phoned her um had a very emotional phone call with her in september <laughs> august september last year but i was like i just can't <laughs> i just can't do it anymore <laughs> And she was like, that's fine. She was really understanding. She was really good. So, yeah, she um, she did her job really well there. <laughs> good. Let's see. Everybody's people. That's what it is. People might seem scary, but everybody's people. Yeah, no, exactly. There you go. So if you think again, that, imagine being up in the gym at five in the morning, doing full day's work, heading back to the gym, training, eating right. But it takes a tough person to do it all, but Hannah Smith manages it and she makes it look quite effortlessly, effortlessly as well as a lot of her peers do. So for the next episode, we'll get locked in with the happiest rugby player I've ever met, one of the most influential and positive people walking the face of the earth to this day. This week we're with Matty Jess and he talks about the coaching mindset of being a coach, how he talks to the players, how he treats the players, how he builds that relationship with them. So let's go see. This is a bit of a long one, but it's really, really good. Enjoy. We're 
going to have to talk about your rugby career because it's a pretty fucking cracking one. And I really want to talk about it. So yeah, sure. you're actually you're now coaching your boyhood team when you started out your career. So how did you get how did you get signed up by the Cornish Pirates? Was it straight out of school? Was it early on? Or yeah, it's like you said, uh, you had to work hard. So I don't know yeah, whether it no, was a... that's right. So my my best mm. mate had, um, uh, had secured a YTS deal, like youth training scheme with them, uh, and yeah. I was um, I was still in in college um, doing my uh, doing my studies. And um, I was playing for my local club, uh, you know, sister club, uh, Mount Spare at the time, um, mm. which, to be fair, had actually just signed a couple of like ex-pirate players. So they're, they're fairly yeah. good. At, you know, if you imagine they're like, you know, 32, 33, still got some game time in them. And um, we literally rinsed that league. Like I, I basically stood out on the wing and just scored a load of tries. And it was no <laughs> thing of my own. It was just literally they'd just give me the ball and, I, and I'd run over. And... Um, uh, I played this one game against Halston, scored about four, I think I scored four tries in the game. And Kev Mosley at the time, who's the head coach of Pirates, was like, look, um, we'd like to get you on loan. And we've got this game against Kendall coming up and we'd like to play in it. And I, I was training with the Pirates on a, I think it was on a Tuesday. And then I trained with Mounts Bay on a Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get sort of like a, you know, a really good sort of standard of, not saying that the Mounts Bay was a bad son of coaching. Uh, and, uh, and I know, playing. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, so, the higher yeah, level. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't want to, you know, sort of like this <laughs> the club. Uh, but uh, no, it was. Um, yeah, so I did that, and then he put me on loan. Uh, I played against Kendall, um, and I well, I, I remember my mum watching me, and um, uh, this, play, this, play, this winger that I was put up against, he was six foot four, and there's me at five eleven, mm-hmm. literally ten stones soaking wet. My mum was like, <laughs> "Oh my word, he's going to get absolutely hooned here." And uh, to be fair, I, I did all right, you know. Uh, yeah. Ended up chipping, chased, and playing nearly scored, and made a couple of breaks. Um, did all right tackle wise, you know. Physicality, I wasn't really there. And then I meant to meant to play the week after against Doncaster. That got cancelled, and then went back off loan. Well, then that's that's it. The next minute, he was like, "Look, we want to sign you on a like a, a youth training scheme for mm-hmm. the year after." So I was essentially what, what my best mate was on. Um, so I did that along my studies, and then uh, within that, I got selected to the under twenty one squad, England squad, wider squad, mm-hmm. um, with players like uh, Matt Cornwell, uh, Matt Hampson, um, uh, obviously who people would know with the Hambo Foundation. Um, mm-hmm. So I went and did uh, yeah a stint with the twenty ones, and then they offered me a full time contract. And basically, I, I said to myself, do I do I ca-? so I carried on my studies, had this sort of like full time contract. Uh, mm-hmm. And I finished the, at that end of the year of my studies, and then I took on the option to do another another year of the contract with the Pirates. Before then, um, the year later, I went off to the Newport Gwent Dragons, had a year there, fairly bad injury, came back down to Launceston, semi-pro. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I dropped down that, out of the, the pro leagues, dropped into semi-pro rugby, and then managed to get myself back up by Exeter watching me that Launceston year. And then next minute, I've done you know nine years in with Exeter. So it all started you know, at, at a good old Cornish Pirates. Exactly. Now you've come full circle. So full you skipped. Circle. Over, yeah, you skipped yeah. over it. So my my old man, he preaches because he went to uni in Swansea, and he preaches about Swansea and Welsh rugby. So what was it like playing for the Dragons? Like, what is the culture like in a Welsh rugby club? So, so I'm actually coaching in. Uh, so I'm doing a Thursday night in a local mm-hmm. rugby club in, in in here now, and, and um, it's the culture's good. It's tough. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I remember it always being tough. So this New, Newport was great. And then if you weren't playing for Newport, you go and play for a, like a, a regional club. So I went and played for Bavale. Uh, mm-hmm. Alex Codlin was a coach there at the time. And uh, I must have had about three or four games for them. And uh, I remember playing against Swansea, right? And uh, there's this lad playing on the on the back row. You probably know of him, Richie Pugh. Um, big, <laughs> blonde, yeah, big, yeah, <laughs> big, blonde, big blonde hair. And sort of like, well, he was the biggest nose I've ever met in my life. And I was just like, I don't like him like one bit. Yeah. Like, 
you know, like that kind of that kind of player, like he was niggly, he was into your face, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I was like, this is like welcome to Welsh rugby. That was the kind of thing. Yeah. And then funny enough, the year that I signed for Exeter to two years down the trot, uh, they signed Richie Pugh as well. Well, the nicest <laughs> bloke I've ever met. And like we ended up being like really, really good mates. And I think you'll find a lot of rugby players will say like, they they, uh, they judge somebody on the rugby pitch and you judge them off the pitch. And usually when you yeah. judge them off the pitch, they're a lot nicer than they are on the pitch just because of pure competitiveness. Two, two separate rugby, people. Yeah. Exactly. People. Yeah. It's like, um, what was it? It's me, myself and Irene, isn't it? You know, you get hang, yeah. uh, is it hang Yeah, that, they, that comes out. The angriness comes out. And mm-hmm. yeah, crazy. But um, the, the Welsh rugby in the regions it is just so hard. It's tough. It's, you know, you're talking about, you know, it's almost like, you know, some of the Welsh rugby players can like hit bigger than the Polynesians, you know, and the, mm-hmm. and the, the Islanders, you know, those kind of players. Um, but I just always remember it being sort of like just, you, you knew you were in for a game. You know, yeah. there was no sort of like, oh, we're going, oh, this is an easy one today and rubbing your hands. It was literally like, no, you, your guards are up, you're ready to go. Um, and yeah, I don't think it's much changed to be fair. And I think that's just purely with the culture and the coaches and how people have been coached, you know, that's all that's going to stay in the Welsh rugby regions. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's good. It's it's certainly challenging. I'd put it that way. <laughs> it's very challenging. Are the nights are the nights out still the stuff of legend they were when? Well, to be fair, obviously with, with COVID, I haven't. I, I don't know, but obviously, um, one of my I know my one of my mates. He went for a stag in Cardiff the other day, and he said mm-hmm. it was just mental. He said it was crazy. He said, uh, he said it was really, really good. He said the only thing we had to do was just book tables everywhere. He said, but people yeah. are still absolutely nuts, you know. You get all the people, I suppose, from the valleys coming down mm-hmm. and sort of partying and whatever. And next minute, you're, you're going to find a you're going to find a group that are a little <laughs> bit crazy. And that's it, isn't it? You're you're, you're into the full flow yeah. of it. So, um, but um, I remember Cardiff always being a good night out, and uh, I've done a couple of good nights in Swansea as well, which is good. Mate, I need to. I've never had a night out in Wales. It's next on my list. That was mate, my you get, mate, first you night out in Manchester. Now I need to go to Wales. You, you can stay at mine, mate. Don't don't worry about it. We'll get mate. we'll get you flow tested at the door, and then you can stay at mine. <laughs> mate, honestly, between you and Cal Circa, I've got about six nights on the South Coast lined up now. Mate, amazing, <laughs> amazing. I'll tell you what, you can stay with me. You can yeah. get a. Uh, you can stay with me on the Saturday night. On the Sunday, we could drive down to um, Cornish Pirates together. Yeah. You, could even, you could even train. You could, you could train, interview the boys, whatever, and then on the Monday night we go out. That'd be brilliant. Mate, there must be some YouTube content we can make there for the Cornish Pirates. There we go. There we go. Take your bang average Scottish rugby player and see how he does the championship. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We could do our recovery sessions in the pool, yeah. like uh, not in the pool, in the um, on the prom when we jump off the uh, jump off the prom. That'd be great. Oh, mate, we, I would be fine because we have um, so we have in our local town here. We used to traditionally pre-season training. We have this massive hill. Yeah. that we have next to our rugby pitch and what we and what we do there when we were playing under 18s is we would have we'd use it for sprints in the pre-season but then once training finished you'd go down to the river use the river as the shower in the bath get yourself washed up and shake we have showers we just use the river optionally we're not we're not that sort of rugged saving <laughs> water you're tight exactly. you're tight Envi- you're just Envi- you're tight <laughs> environmentally friendly and it's yeah. in the club a bit of cash but what we then do is we get these massive bits of tarpaulin cover put them on the hill and we made our own sort of water slides and we do that so that, like they're the best things you can do for it like as soon as you get water in a tarpaulin and just make it into a slide how good is that amazing get oh. your fairy liquid down then off you go that's mate we used to you used to go to Sainsbury's two of you in the, like so there'd be one boy who could drive and there'd be six of you at this trolley with yeah. about seven bottles of fairy liquid 12 cases of beer and you just go in and you'd have the you one did... kid who was 18 that could buy it for everybody yeah i, I bet this but, um what was it the the what they call them the checkout girls or lady or man looking yeah. at you like that I know exactly what you're doing. <laughs> exactly. Because, it's such, because we live in such a small town, it was just like, 
Yeah, as long as you were 18 that buys it, Billy. You knew it was suspicious when he was coming out just with a bunch of fivers. It didn't just have a lot of cash. You yeah. just clearly had voices done a rip round, just everybody had a fiver. <laughs> and then you get the odds, oh, there's a couple of quid because he could. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that one that one was giving it all in coppers and like, great, yeah. just yeah. taking that out. Yeah, coppers are five Ps. <laughs> oh, mate, so as you said, you've done my job nicely for me and you've got it hanging perfectly in the background, your Exit Chiefs yeah. jersey. Yeah. How was it how was it <laughs> winning winning the uh, winning the premiership with Exit Chiefs? And then not only that, but how is the mentality? Because Exit Chief is famous for its Team bonding, team mentality, and togetherness, and yeah, absolutely. I think, um, uh, and that, and that's, um, and that's something that's sort of like been uh, from from old as well, like from the days down at the county grounds before they moved up to Sandy Park. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, in terms of the club and, and the culture, and and uh, you know, you know, staff, players, all that, it's um, oh, what a place to be. Uh, one, well, obviously, you, you, you know. I don't want to say the divide between Devon and Cornwall because that's quite a, uh, you know, they're mm-hmm. talking about the um, touchy subject. Yeah. yeah, very touchy subject <laughs> indeed. But, uh, you know, I had, you know, you know, I had 13 good years in Devon and, and nine of those were playing for the Chiefs. Um, but it's just, you know, a club that have all strived and had a really good vision. You know, I, it's all cliche, isn't it? When you arrive at a club and you, you, you say, oh, they've got a great vision and stuff like that. But they generally have. They've got, mm-hmm. um, you know, a really good vision. Um, and, and they want to be the best. And they, they've always wanted it. You know, Tony Rowe, Rob Baxter, Ali Hifa, you know, all the coaches, Ricky Pello, always wanted it. And the best thing they've, they've done is their recruitment. So they recruit, re- well, I'm not saying that because I they recruited me, but like they recruit good people. <laughs> good, Yeah, they recruit yeah. good people, good characters. And they, they never did like, um, you know, a London Welsh or a Bristol and, and uh, you know, and they, they, you know, where they go up and they, they kind of like pile in a load of experienced players. Mm-hmm. They've, 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 got people they got people especially in that championship year that wanted to make the prem you know they uh, people that have never quite made the prem but have had that like you know the the the, the drive and the ambition to get there and they'll do anything to get it and i think that mm-hmm. was their key thing um and that was their key uh, their key ingredient and then on top of that all they did then was you know over the years they just drip fed you know, really experienced people in Tom Waldrum, um, you know, uh, Dean Mum, uh, you know, a few marquee players there. And then obviously the likes of their academy system, Jack Knowles, Henry Slade, Sam Hill, uh, you know, those type of players, mm-hmm. you know, Ben Moon, um, uh, et cetera, that have been there for a very long time. And they've just, yeah, built this culture. And, and it makes it so much easier when people then join the club to just fit in because yeah. they within within like the first couple of days, you're going to know the culture, you know what's happening, you know where to sit. You know what to do, what not to do, and um, you know it's been, you know it was, it was a great, great journey, um, and it certainly gave me a lot of life lessons as well, especially post rugby as well, like more more into my coaching career um, mm-hmm. than anything else, but also just just your, you 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 know your, your afterlife in terms of rugby, you know your kind of your outlook on on things and uh, and and how you look after yourself. So um, yeah, no, absolutely outstanding, and there it is, um, yeah, behind me, sort of uh, mm-hmm. you know sitting proudly on, on my wall. As it should, as it should. I want to come back to your coaching because that's the next stage I want to talk to you because I think your coaching is going to be, I think you're, as, a, as an infectious person and an infectious atmosphere, I think your coaching is going to be even better than your playing career, personally. <laughs> I, say, I say that as a guy who has all the experience of coaching in the world. <laughs> a couple of, couple of reps of coaching hey, schools uh, under 15s. But... Mate, you were coaching me in that football. You were sitting in front of me telling me where to go. I quite enjoyed that, Sam. <laughs> 
That's all I've got. I just had talking because it involved me not running. I was like, if I talk to Jesse, I don't have to run. That's all. Yeah, you like Dennis, you, you like the old school Dennis Wise in Ch- against you know Mate, playing for Chelsea. Brilliant. Massive, massive Chelsea fan. If you mention me to Dennis Wise, I'll tear up. But... There we go. There we go. Hey, and we can get Dennis Wise on over over the um, over in eighty minutes. If you see if if Dennis Wise or Frank Lampard or Gianfranco Zola came on, it'd be the worst podcast in the world because it'd be eighty minutes of me just crying and telling them how much I love them. <laughs> right, you'd have you'd have my old man sat next to me just talking to Gianfranco Zola. I wouldn't get a word in; it'd just be me, no, and my dad, and Gianfranco Zola talking. Amazing, brilliant. So, what was I going to ask you? Completely, yeah, we were talking. So, when they were getting these players in and the culture, and you were saying that championship year, yeah, was it very much like a? You said they got players that wanted to be in the Premiership. Was it? And then you got these players in when, so when they're like coach, when they were recruiting, was it almost like not rugby is the second most important thing, but it was your character outweighs your rugby ability. Like you can be the best rugby player in the world, but if you're not right for the coach, you're not coming. Yeah. So for me, um, and, and this is the way I kind of look at it now. So obviously you've got to have some sort of rugby now, some rugby ability. Yeah. There's no point in signing you really. Um, you know, okay. Why have you signed him? He's a good bloke. Good on yeah. the, good on the smash. He is good on the smash. Yeah. And that is it. But like, <laughs> Team morale. Team yeah, morale. exactly, exactly. Yeah, he's just going to pump the boys up every every game. He's not going to. Yeah, he's not going to be on the pitch. But yeah, um, for me, for me, it's got to have a bit of both. So he's got to have the rugby ability, but then the yeah. character. Uh, and I think the character is the big thing because essentially, if the guy hasn't got, good, if he's got great rugby ability, but he can't fit in with the squad, well then mm-hmm. you, he's not going to add to that playing. He's not going to add to the team. He's not going to add, you know, to his own personal development because he's become. He's he's so. Um, isolated and he will isolate himself from other people. If you've got a group of players there, well, that, you know, that, that, you know, everyone wants to have that isolation period and go, you know, I just want to be by myself or whatever. You know, everyone has that kind of, you know, those moments. But if he has a collective moment where he, he's in the moment, whether it be training, in games, where he can gel and, and, and be with the squad and know the direction and the blueprint and the vision of the, the squad and then input that as much as they can, as best they can, skill-wise, execution-wise, then you've got a decent machine there. And mm. that was the key thing. So that's what they did. They they brought in quite a few players. And then these players were all like champ players or player champs, myself, Tommy Hayes, Nick Sestere, all mm. players that are on the cusp, you know, on the cusp of sort of, you know, hitting the prem. And yeah. we never really done it. But when you've got 50-odd or, you know, 55 squad members that are, like itching and ready to go and they're playing against a team that have kind of been there and done it well who wants it more and it's going to be mm-hmm. the team that have, that that have just missed out or always missed out and they're the people that are going to want it more and the big thing that happened when we won the championship is that you know rob, you know rob didn't you know reinvent the wheel and go yep you're done you're done you're done you're done pretty much everyone stayed you know i yeah. I, i'd say you know about bar one or two everyone stayed you know, and they had, you know, maybe a one or two year contract or whatever. And, you know, potentially some, you know, the wages went up slightly because you're in the Prem. So you you get a really nice incentive then because you're like, you're a Prem player now. You're getting paid, you know, essentially a Prem wage. And you go, right. Okay. Well, and then it's that second season, you know, we got, we got touted with the second season syndrome. And I was mm-hmm. like, what? And I can understand people, why people would, because they're like, well, you know, whatever. But actually... When you think about it, these 55 squad members or whatever, however many there are now, okay, haven't had premiership rugby, right? You've now given them a premiership season, the build-up pre-season, blah, blah, blah. Well, what's going to happen now? They are going to want to show people that we want it and we deserve to be in it. And that was the mentality. It was like, you show people, you show Gloucester on the first outing that we are meant to be here, the Simpson Daniels and the Mike Tyndalls and all that. And that's what we did. We won the first game. 
And then next minute it was like, right, what's the next game? What's the next game? And everything became a, well, we're the underdogs. And you know what? We didn't mind for the first three or four years. But then at some stage, which obviously the part, you know, the the, the extra uh, chiefs are now, they're not Mm -hmm. the underdogs anymore. They're the ones at the top. They're the Saris of old. Everyone wants to knock them off. Mm -hmm. And Harlequins did that this year. So, you know, when you, when you, when you get that, and I think this is why recruitment's so, so, special and it's what i'm learning now with my coaching is that recruitment is so special you know mm-hmm. that if you don't get your recruitment right you could be the best coach in the world but if you haven't got the cattle to drive your vision and blueprint well there's there's no point and i think you know that's where it goes back to that recruitment side of things um you know so um yeah yeah no i i agree i think the most when i looked at when i look at being a coach i think the most fascinating bit would be like I, I, the way I've always looked at, it, I imagine off seasons are more fun for coaches than during the season because you get to do that, you get to do the scouting, you get to do the player reports, you get to do the the sit down meetings and getting the players in. Yeah, and I think that must be the most fun you can have, especially because like, I imagine how it went when you guys got Cal in. Like I've seen the happiness on the face of getting somebody in that wants to be at the club and something like that. Exactly that, and like mm-hmm. you know, with, with the Cal situation, it was very much and. You know, I kind of spoke to, obviously, I, you know, he spoke on the podcast, obviously, I listened to that today, and, you know, and, and you know, you, as long as you're having honest conversations with somebody and asking them what they want and, and what they need, and, you, you know, I, I saw, obviously, Cal was leaving, and I was just like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I need to I need to send him a message, and obviously, we're, we're obviously yeah. on, the, on the blokes group and stuff, and obviously, we know each other that way and done a few Zoom calls together, but, like, I was like, now I need to ask him where's he going. When he said he had nothing, I was like, "Hold on a second, what we need? We need to seriously look at this." And mm-hmm. I, t- you know, I spoke to my, my head coach and Gav Cattle, and next minute we, we looked at a few games. You know, we talked about him. Um, you know, I knew he'd be the right fit in terms of character-wise, obviously, because I know yeah. I know him, and I think that's really important. And then it's all about the then the player. So you put everything back on the player, right? What do you want out of this year? And mm-hmm. it, it, he was like, I, "I need a challenge. I want this challenge. I want a challenge of." And I was like, "That's brilliant. That is exactly what I need." Yeah. And you know, my, my mentality around things at the moment, and this is why I've kind of, this is what I've kind of learned, is that loyalty in rugby has kind of gone out of the way. It was, it's been, start, it's been starting to be removed mm-hmm. because of the way that clubs are going. So everything's a business to a club now, which is fair yeah. enough. Like everything's a business. You've got to understand that. And, you know, I so more, 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 more understand that now. Um, I probably didn't understand that towards my latter years. Um, and my outlook now is actually create a brand for yourself. So, for example, mm-hmm. someone like Cal would, you know, create a brand for himself rugby-wise. But if he, so imagine if he could be the best individual player. Obviously, he's got to play collectively. But if he could be the best individual player for himself, well, mm-hmm. he is going to make a massive input into the Pirates because he's scoring tries for the Pirates, which exactly. obviously brings a big sort of outlook for the Pirates. Well, both then entities are doing this, so. It's a brand, it's a business, and we're going this way. Excellent. Yeah. So you, you're both working together that way. And then essentially, you know, Cal's a young player. Well, what does he want? He would like to get back to the top. And, you know, you know, us as coaches who sit sort of just below the prem, well, you know, if, if he gets touted the next year and he has a good year and he go, he go, well, we've essentially done a job. We don't want to lose him. Don't get me wrong we've done a job and he's created that brand for himself and he's done that himself so i i feel like if players now out there and if, if any players are listening to this then create a brand for yourself you know get on your instagrams get on your stuff you know put yourself out there a little bit um you know show the world what type of player you are what kind of character you are and i guarantee if that business likes the brand and mm-hmm. you want to come in you want to make a challenge and you want to put that you want to get that club to its, its heights 
then you you you, you both in, in terms of separate entities, but collectively you're going in the right direction. Exactly. It's like we were discussing Lionel Messi before with his contract. He gets the contract because he not only helps himself, but he takes is he takes the club with him. I think it was um, I saw it today. Obviously, my interest in social media through my work. PSG gained something like 19 million followers in 48 hours or something like that. Absolutely crazy, isn't yeah. it? And like, yeah, you know, you might, there's, you there's only one way that direction's going, is up. Exactly. And I'd like to know, like, you know, in terms of like shirt sales and stuff, like where that's mm-hmm. gone now, you know? And and th- and this is the thing, and this is where my mentality, my mentality has massively changed. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I understand the loyalties back in the day, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. because money wasn't a huge driver. But because money's a huge driver, because clubs now have businesses, but, and, and players need to understand, actually, yes, you can be loyal to a club to a certain extent, but actually, no, mm-hmm. create, well, not say no, but like create a brand for yourself. You've look, you got to look after yourself, you know, and that, I think mm-hmm. that's really, really important. And as a coach, you know, because you can go, you know, two ways because you want to keep a player, don't get me wrong, but also if they're going to fly the nest and leave home, oh, you know, that kind of thing, like because he's such a good player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to be, but like, God, you know, at what satisfaction would you be when somebody's gone up and they're, they're making you know, headlines in the premiership and, and you as a coach have had, you know, something to do with that person mm-hmm. or you've given him, you know, a few of those things. So I think, yeah, cr- creating a brand's absolutely massive and I completely agree with you, yeah. Sam. Well, especially if you say, because back, like you said, so if you get the right character, Cal could then have, say, like, God forbid, I like I like Cal at the Pirates, I think it's a good choice and it stays, but say if he then does and then he has a friend who's in a similar situation that he was when he was, for, I mean, in my opinion, unjustly let go, he will then be like, get on the phone to Matt Jess, get to the Pirates, do stay to the Pirates because like he'll, he'll reward the club back to it. He will he will preach the good word about Pirates, like you said. Completely agree, and yeah. and, and so that you know, you know, like you said, like loyalty to a club, like it may not be himself being loyal, but in terms of being an ambassador for the club, he's loyal. Exactly, and how and helping the club out, and I think that's really really important because at the end of the day, if you have if you have this experience and good positive experiences, you're gonna you know. Um, you talk about things, don't they? In terms of um, you know that you know going around in full, full, you know, talk about full circle, me going back to Paris. But like mm-hmm. you know, that is right. So if somebody's had a really good experience there and they've enjoyed it, and they know that somebody else is going to potentially have that and gain for themselves, then they're going to pass you on, which is great. So um, no, I completely, completely agree with that, and I think that's a, it's a really, really good point. Mm-hmm. Right, mate. We're getting there. I wanted to talk about your coaching. Have you? And we're getting really good talking about these people and brand loyalty and players and how. The sport is almost once you get to the pro levels, the sport is almost an afterthought because you have to be a good rugby player to play rugby at a higher level. It's like a given, like you were saying. Yeah. So have you I've thought about this with Cal, have you ever seen the coach's rules for life on Netflix? I haven't, no. It's it's so good. I I honestly I'm I'm gonna have to write this down. Coach's rule. Coach's rules for life. It's like it's a little short five or six episode documentary. Right, I'm in. Okay. But they literally it's six different coaches and it's like so you've got Jose Mourinho on there. Yeah, you've got Doc Rivers, who's a basketball coach, and he coached the Boston Celtics when they had their super team. They had Kevin Garnett and people like that. Yeah, okay. So, and they and Doc Rivers says, and Doc Rivers and Mourinho, the two episodes that stick out for me because they basically just went, he was like, it's like you, I'm not here to teach people how to play this sport. Like you gave me Cristiano Ronaldo, the best player in the world at the time. What am I going to tell him about playing football that he doesn't already know? But what I can teach him is how to be in the team and how to be a team player and stuff like that. So. Is that how you approach coaching as a coach? Is that what you're trying to do, or? Yeah, I, I, I suppose I do, but it, it, again, it depends because it depends what 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 type of person you're coaching at a time. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, for me, it's like if you can if you could give them 
you know, because essentially they can all play rugby, but they might have to like um, scrub up on a bit of their development in terms of like a, a, like a, a skill which they're going to have to maybe replicate week in week out. For example, high mm. ball skills or kicking. So that side of things, um, I'm really interested in because if I could change somebody in terms of give them a few sort of um, you know pointers or tips in terms of you know executing that skill to a better um, uh, yeah uh, execute that skill to a better um, outcome, then I will concentrate on that development. Uh, mm-hmm. And then it's all dependent on the age. So, for example, if you're uh, and this is where I look at it. So, if if you're around that eighteen to you know mid, young twenties, you know you could change things without drastically uh, mucking up their routine and 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 memory, uh, which they've 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 probably inputted to themselves for a long time. Whereas, like a twenty, I feel like the Cristiano Ronaldo scenario, like somebody's mm-hmm. up 28, 29, 30, you're not going to massively change them. And um, the time that you spend to go in there to change that type of skill or that sort of like really small intrinsic part of their their skill skill set, you're wasting your time. You know, mm-hmm. but what you can do is you could sort of like you know show them, and I think that's a big thing. So if you start start to show them, um, you know, some of their behaviours. Um, and and what they're doing and what you want. So you show them the standard. They are able then to look at something and go, no, do you know what? I understand that. I'm not really carrying on the out, you know, so this is what I'll do now. And I'll start getting the ball carrying on the out, for example, as a forward. So I look at it in terms of like age uh, and their yeah. age range. So the younger they are, the more you can add and input their development. Uh, and I think that's really key. Um, whereas the older they are, um, you know, they've, they've, they've been, um, surrounded and used to something that is that is that is in their sort of I say rep- repertoire, you know, for a long, long time. Um, mm-hmm. And it's about then for me as a coach, I'd look and go, well, do I need to input that, or or you know, do I need to ask that question to him? You know, so um, for example, you know, a back three player, right? What do you want to work on? Okay, my high ball, high ball skills and kicking. Okay, brilliant. Okay, I need to see you, you know, uh, replicate these and do these, you know, for a couple, you know, uh, you know, a couple of. A couple of clips of you doing it, and then I can take a look and break it down. So I think mm-hmm. the younger they are, the more you break it down. The older they are, you know, you show them a standard uh, and, and and sort of like you know show them the behaviour that they want, and they, they they should be able to start to integrate and and get themselves. Um, and that, and that's what I like, especially in the development what uh, development part of of coaching. Mm-hmm. No, I couldn't agree. I, I couldn't agree more. No, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> just, 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 no, you're wrong, mate. I've got it. I've got it. Yeah. Sussed and you're wrong. Yeah. Like, um, I, I think, I think, I like, I like the point that you make, like the, mm-hmm. the the Jose Mourinho's and stuff like that, in terms of the, you know, when you when you know they've got enough knowledge and they know enough about the game, it's not about coaching them the small parts. It's about yeah. what they do and how they fit into the bigger picture. Um, and I mm-hmm. think that's really key. And that's something that probably I've not had huge amount I've more, I've more coached in the development side of things mm-hmm. and it's something that I'm starting to get used to um and you know Gavin Allen down at the Cornish Pirates you know they're they're a couple of coaches that I'm massively going to learn off and Chris Morgan obviously uh that I could learn off because they've been in that environment a little bit longer than me but in a more of a, a full-time based environment as well so um mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of like you know sort of like those little things like that you know watching you know Netflix you know, um, thing like that for me is going to be gold dust, you know, because I'm oh. just like a, you know, you sponge it in, you write down notes and stuff. So it's great. Yeah. Mate, I, I have tons of recommendations. I must have completed Netflix during lockdown one up here. So, <laughs> as you know, Scotland was much stricter than England. So we were sitting in your yeah. house and <laughs> your garden was your best friend. Yeah, right. absolutely. Last quick question before we get on to the teammate section and I'll let you get on your merry way. No what would your not. advice be to a young budding coach? Oh, young budding coach. 
Um, like one piece of gold that you wish you could give somebody could have given you on day one of coaching. Yeah. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. That sounds like the best advice. Yeah, I think uh, as a coach, you can overthink, and you need you want things because you're a coach and you know what coaches have been like. You want things to be perfect, but actually, if you're taking a session and that session doesn't go well to your standard, the players don't know because yeah. they're focused on the game or the, the the skill of the exercise. Whereas you can go back, you can review it, you can write down what I could do better, um, and don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't put pressure on yourself. There we go. Sure and sweet. I like that as well. Yeah. And the last segment for this week's montage episode, one of my favourite people. I never had a dream when I started firing DMs out, starting a little old podcast. I was still mess- I was messaging this man back when I had no, didn't even have a podcast. I was talking to him out with, talking about just world of rugby. Next is Alex Maglaby. He is the CEO of the New England Free Jacks. He is an incredible rugby player in his own right and was represented the US when rugby was up and coming. And now he's reaping the rewards and still growing the game making sure he is at the forefront of rugby, but making sure that there is going to be people to succeed him when he is gone. Let's have a talk about Alex Magleby and why he decided to open up his own rugby team, his own MLR franchise in Boston, in the heart of Trophy Town. Exactly. So uh, talking nicely about New England, it leads me on. Was there pressure when you thought about doing it in New England? Because obviously the teams there are a bit better than average from history in other sports. Yeah, we're very lucky in New England. There's probably more players per capita than anywhere else in the country outside of the youth game. The youth game is probably biggest in Southern California. Mm -hmm. Massachusetts is one of the six states in New England, is Mm -hmm. uh, the only state in the United States that has actually state-sanctioned high school rugby for boys and girls, where it's run by kind of the traditional high school athletic association that would run football and lacrosse and ice hockey and basketball, baseball. So that's really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the traditional university structure in New England that, you know, again, per capita, there's more college students than kind of anywhere else in, the, in, in North America. And though all those programs have a history of rugby, uh, some good, some bad, some in between. So there's, 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 there's a lot of history there that um, is really, really cool. Uh, the, our job is to help, again, going back to that earlier, is help connect the dots and make those experiences better for, for those that are participating in, in those um, clubs and colleges and high school programs, and then really develop the youth game. That's, there hasn't been massive youth participation. There's a little bit, little, little awesome little nuggets here and there mm-hmm. um, based purely on volunteers working really hard. But let's let's create a system then that can really connect those, and that's what we're trying to do again with the academy system and everything else, is really grow the youth game. Why? Wow. So when you so talking of so like the trophy town, when you compare yourself, obviously you've got you have Nate behind, well not behind you, but you have people like Nate and Patrick Chung with you. Does the does the professionalism of the Patriots and the teams like that sort of seep in? Do you get advice from the other teams like the Red Sox, like the Bruins? Yeah, there's a really, really good sports entertainment industry in the Boston area, right? Mm-hmm. You have, um, obviously, the Patriots, you have the Red Sox, you have the Celtics, you have the Bruins, who are all f- championship-caliber teams on any given year. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. There's a really, really strong tradition of high-performance sport in, in our area. But you've you got to look at the Red Sox. I mean, they what, took 87 years for them to World Series, you know, between the last time they did but you would have never said that they weren't competitive or they weren't in the mix or you know, they were always selling out at Fenway. It's still, it's, it's a great um, organization. 
And what we have found is a lot of those organizations have been very friendly to us as, we, as we've come in. For mm -hmm. sure. And then you have the others like New England Revolution and Major League Soccer. Um, so there's, a, there's a few more kind of at that next level. So everybody's been really helpful as we've continued to try to grow. Amazing. That's good to hear. Yeah. Wow. And there you have it. Episode three of our little montage series is done and dusted. All the usual stuff, folks. Leave a like, subscribe, follow. Do what you need to do to make sure this podcast gets shared with everybody so we can make sure that we're making more and more episodes for years to come. Thank you guys for listening once again, and then I'll see you guys next week. See you soon. Bye.